Our New Testament reading this morning is from the book of the Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter beginning with the first verse. Listen now for God's word to us. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages? We hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, People of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, These are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The day of Pentecost has come. In Jewish tradition, Pentecost commemorates the giving of the law, or Torah, by God at Mount Sinai, a period of seven weeks or 50 days after the Passover. And for Christians, the day of Pentecost is about this story that we just heard from the book of Acts. In this congregation in particular, Pentecost comes with a number of things. This year, the annual commemoration of the sanctuary's dedication in 1914, as you heard a moment ago, is also today. There are new members joining the church today. The confirmation class is being recognized today. Other things not happening here are part of our congregation's life at Pentecost. There's a group of people away at family camp, as they do every year the weekend before Memorial Day. And not just church things. Pentecost comes with other things that are uh, anticipated. Summer weather, I'm told graduations. So even if Pentecost in the church is not the thing you're looking forward to, there's lots at this time of year that we associate with eagerly awaiting. And so here we are, 
The day of Pentecost has come. When the day of Pentecost had come for the women and the men of that early, early church, they were all together in one place. You can almost see them all crowded into a room there in Jerusalem where they're staying. You can almost see them constantly devoting themselves to prayer as Luke, the author of Acts, tells us they were doing in chapter 1. Do not leave Jerusalem, Jesus had told them. Wait there. And so they waited, hidden away in an upstairs room, surrounded on all sides by citizens and soldiers who merely weeks before had first arrested and then tried and executed Jesus, their friend, their rabbi, the one they followed here from their homes in Galilee. Can you see them? Waiting, praying, nervous, disappointed, guilty, frightened even, homesick? Sure, but all together in one place. Can you see them? I think you can see them because I think we are them. We who are together in this one place are like the people who were all together in that one place in important ways. We too are praying. We too are waiting for some power from heaven to come and fix things in our world. You know the news. Ten more people died in a gun attack at a school this week and nobody that I'm talking to or reading is expressing much hope that this tragedy is going to change any things any more than the previous tragedies going back three decades now have done. But we're all together in one place, and I'm glad for that. I'm glad that there is a community here of women and men, children, youth, adults, older adults, a community praying, a community working, a community waiting, waiting, waiting for things to be set right. That is, a church. Today I am grateful for the church. And I am happy to stop there. I have to confess to you that it feels like enough to me to be this community all gathered together in one place. That feels like enough. In this age, when so much seems to threaten to pull communities apart, being a community all together in one place really feels like work enough. But the place that I'm happy to stop seems to be the, pl the place where God is just starting. The church is a community for sure, but it is a community filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is the good news that we claim at Pentecost, the good news that is embedded in these ancient portents and signs, blood, fire, and smoky mist that Peter is breathlessly contending is all coming true right now, that the Spirit of God fills this community, all of it, sons and daughters, young and old, all flesh. And that's good news. But how is it good news? What, what does it even mean? I think it means that the oldest and the youngest members of this church are alike, filled with the Spirit and given gifts for the building up of the body, and so they use them. I think it means that the wealthiest and the most cash-strapped person in this communion are alike filled with the Spirit and called to serve those in need with love and care, and so they do. I think it means that the strongest and the most frail here are alike emboldened 
to speak good news to people dulled by a daily drip, drip, drip of bad news, and so they do. The Spirit, the church is holy in the language of the creed because it is a Spirit-filled community. <clears throat> now I know Spirit-filled and Presbyterian may not be things that you necessarily associate with one another. Maybe that's because we restrict our sense of what spiritual is to that which is ecstatic. Maybe it's because we take the story of Pentecost to be a template for the church in all times and all places instead of as a story about the inauguration of the church at one particular time in one particular place. On Friday night, our church session, the elected board of elders, spent some of its, its monthly meeting time examining these eighth graders who have completed confirmation this year and who will be professing faith, and some of them becoming active members of the congregation. It's quite a spectacle to be part of, I can assure you. These young people and church elders sharing together about their faith and their life in the church. It happened again this morning as well for those who couldn't, couldn't be there on Friday night. There is a spirit, trust me, in those conversations that you just can't miss. And it might have been that spirit that prompted one of those students who had previously decided that they were not certain enough to make a profession of faith, a decision we totally respect and, and allow them to make. But maybe that spirit is what prompted this student to approach me as they were leaving and ask me, is it too late to change my mind? Two things about this. First, that is the easiest question you will ever be asked, and the four-word answer rolls right off the tongue. It's never too late. Say that with me. It's never too late. Second, I take whatever prompted that student to ask that question as all the evidence that I need, that the Spirit is at work, that the Spirit fills this community. The church is a community filled with the Spirit, and sometimes we even get to see it. You can be sure that other people see it. Another uh, confirmation anecdote. On the bus ride to the spring retreat back in March out to Holland, Michigan, one of the 8th grade students shared with me that earlier in the day they had been subject to ridicule from their peers because they were going to be spending the weekend at a retreat with church. I hear this kind of thing from students with some regularity, that their belonging to a church is scorned by their peers. And I get it. I mean, it's a tough spot to be in. I remember it. You're so certain in adolescence that everybody's judging you already. Why give them one more weird thing to use against you? And it's not only youth I hear this from. I've had people in churches ask me to call them at their place of work, but please don't say you're from a church. I get it. In our age, church, Christianity is largely identified by a lot of people as a force for intolerance, as something that is willfully opposed to science, something that is heartless and hypocritical, and to be identified with that is something that can come with a real cost. I think this inaugural collective of disciples that we hear about in this story, in Acts 2, was certainly exposed to that kind of scorn. You heard it in the story. The crowds accused them of being full, all right, 
not full of the Holy Spirit, full of wine. And so they sneer. There's always going to be a sneer. It's not just the sneer. There's more going on. Don't let the sneer distract you from the other things. There is amazement in that crowd. There is perplexity. There is bewilderment. They're astonished. They're hearing something. It's something they've heard before, but not something they've heard like this or from people like this, and so they notice. They stop what they're doing, and they listen, not in spite of being perplexed, but because they are perplexed. They are experiencing the power of God in a way that is breaking their world open. I think you have to ask, if nobody's perplexed, if nobody is amazed or astonished or bewildered at what they see coming from the church, if nobody is sneering, what are we even doing? Not that it's about spectacle. I mean, listen to what this crowd is saying. Pay attention to why they are so confused. It's because they understand. Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And and how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? They heard and they understood. There's more going on here, I think, than linguistic theatrics. There is hearing and being heard. There is understanding and being understood. Willie Jennings says, when you speak a language, you speak a people. What is amazing to this crowd is that their language is being spoken, their lives are being spoken by the Spirit of God. Language is so much more than words, isn't it? I'm married to someone who grew up in another country speaking another language. There are parts of her personality that don't come out in English. So much of our humanity is contained in language, memory, community, family. Language involves your body, the way that the muscles of your mouth and your hands and your face all work together to convey meaning. Language builds cultures. Language is planted and grows out of land. And so look again at what God is doing here. God is connecting the church to practically the entire known world through language, through their language. This table of nations that gets name-checked, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and so on, it's like a table of contents for the rest of the story of where the church is going to go, and it establishes the church as irreducibly Catholic, as we say in the creed. In other words, global. That is the miracle of Pentecost. Not only that some Galileans could all of a sudden speak Mesopotamian and Egyptian, but that the Mesopotamians and the Egyptians could hear themselves addressed by God in the language of their own land, their own people, their own bodies. God does not disdain their language because God, in another terrific expression of Willie Jennings, God speaks human fluently. A group of people from a church I was in in California, went to Peru, to a village in the Andes called Ayacucho to install a water purification system. And one of the Californians who went on that trip was actually a Canadian, a guy named Will, who had the gift of the gab. And uh, at the first chance he got, Will decided he was going to bring greetings to the church in Ayacucho 
from our presbytery in California. And the other leaders of the trip did not know Will had planned to do this. Will didn't plan to do it in French. Uh, he didn't plan to do it in English. He didn't even plan to do it in Spanish. He had planned in advance to do it in Quechua, the language of the people in that village. Now, if you've never heard Quechuan in a Canadian accent, you won't understand a word of it. And I'm pretty confident the people in that village didn't understand anything of it either. But they understood something. They understood that the church valued their humanity enough to try to speak their language because God values their humanity enough and God speaks their language. The miracle of Pentecost, friends, is the Spirit enabling the church to use people's language to tell them the story of God, the story of their own life and salvation, a global cosmic good news story. It is harrowing to note that all of this takes place in Jerusalem and that the bewildered crowd is made up, in the words of the story, of devout Jews from every nation under heaven. I say it's harrowing because Jerusalem was and still is a charged cocktail of language and land, occupation, and aggression, resistance, and terror. It is a bloody mess. And the church that hears this story today, the story of the church's inauguration at the festival of Pentecost in Jerusalem all those centuries ago, that church still believes in the beauty and the dignity of all of the language, all of the memories, all of the land, all of the bodies clamoring for recognition there today because God speaks all those people fluently. Well, it all needs explained, of course, and so Peter, Peter gets up to give the first sermon in the life of this young church. But note something, Peter doesn't stand up alone. Standing with the eleven, the story says, Peter stands with the whole company of the church, that early, young, small church, in order to address the world with this good news, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They stand together in a solidarity of witness to the truth. Can you see them all standing there? Of course you can, because we are them too. We stand together to profess faith. We stand together with our bodies to affirm faith, to state that we believe again in the words of the creed, in the Holy Ghost, that is, this same Spirit, that filled all those women and men centuries ago and that fills us today, that turns us inside out and sends us out into a world that is desperate for some good news. It's here. The day of Pentecost has come. And so we are all together. We all stand in one place in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
community of disciples, let us say together what we believe, using these words from the ancient creed, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Friends, it is my honor to introduce to you the 33 young people who make up this year's confirmation class. A little bit about what they have done this year. Ever since September, they have covenanted together to meet regularly to explore the faith of the church into which they were baptized. Many of them now desire to profess publicly that faith for themselves and to assume greater responsibility in the life of the church and in God's mission in the world. So, we, all of us, rejoice that you all share with us in our common ministry. In your baptism, you were joined to Christ and made members of his church. And in the community of the people of God, you have learned of God's purpose for your life and for all of creation. You have been nurtured at the table of our Lord and called to witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The promise of scripture is for you that we are what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. They have not walked alone this year, however, and so I would like to introduce to you the small group of circle leaders who have accompanied them uh, this year. These leaders have met with them on a weekly basis. These leaders have gone away on as many as three weekend retreats with these students. They've shared their own life, shared their own faith, and in other ways been models of faithful church membership. So I'm going to introduce them to you now and ask that they come stand up here with me. Luke Beasley, Carol Beckin, Andrea Page, Kathy Rodak, Regan Burke, Karen Frank, and Kirsten Almos. On behalf of the whole church, thank you for your service and for your dedication to these young people. Let us enact our gratitude to these leaders. Yeah. Stay there. And now I would like to introduce uh, Elder Mallory Garfield, who will present the confirmation class, who will line up with their parents down this middle aisle. On behalf of the session of Fourth Presbyterian Church, I commend this year's confirmation class to the congregation for having completed the confirmation process in good faith. When your name is called, please take your place in the center aisle. Parents are invited to stand on either side of their son or daughter in the aisle. Charles Calkins.
Grace Cruz. Adeline Dobb. Griffin Gustafson. Elena Myers. Sarah Jane Nicholson. Meredith Phelps. Joshua Van Overmyren. Eric Ward. Grace Yonan. Alicia Berger. Ethan Kisteth. Robert Cups. Delaney Haas. Knox Lingenfelter. David McDermott. Isabella Monroy. Kyle Osenberg. Laura Pilkin. Emily Stomper. Shay Vandermeed. Gabriella Buchanan. Caroline Culver. Brinton DeHunt. Jack Fleck. Genevieve Kinner. Claire Mertzloff. Regina Monroy. Bennett Patterson. Natalie Ruhanna. Monica Strax. Henry Wallace. Ryan Williams. We did very well with the Bibles for a while, but some of you might want to switch them up and get your actual own Bible later. What? 
Oh man, I thought I had that. <laughs> I know you did. I know you thought you had that. Okay. <laughs> so I now invite you, parents, if you would, lay your hands on your child. Circle leaders, if you will also lay your hand on this group. I'm actually going to invite all of you in the pews to stand, please. And if you would either place your hand on the shoulder of the person in front of you, or if that's uncomfortable, just put your hand out so that you too can bless towards the center aisle so that we can all bless these, our new confirmands. Let us pray. Gracious God, by water and the Spirit, you have claimed us as your own, cleansing us from sin and giving us new life. You made us members of your body, the church, calling us to be your servants in the world. Renew in these children of yours the covenant you made in their baptism. Continue the good work you've begun in them. Send them forth in the power of your spirit to love and serve you with joy and to strive for justice and peace in all the earth. And now, O Lord, uphold them by your Holy Spirit. Daily increase in them your gifts of grace, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the spirit of joy in your presence, both now and forever. Ever-living God, guard these, your servants, with your protecting hand, and let your Holy Spirit be with them forever. Lead them to know and obey your living word, that they may serve you in this life and dwell with you forever in the life to come. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying, Our, our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, with joy and thanksgiving, we welcome you to share in the ministry of Christ. For we are all one in him. Let us enact our welcome. And then you may be seated. All right. Indeed, the congregation may be seated at this time. 